0: First John, which was, you know, there's just five chapters. He seems to be uh, repeating himself in the themes that he's been discussing. Earlier on, we had talked about the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, now he's dealing with it directly, but he's introducing it in as an admonition to us to not believe every spirit. So, what we're going to be talking about today, then... Evidences of regeneration, we talked about regeneration, remember, means new birth, we're, we're born again. Evidence that we are born again. God has brought us to life. And the evidences of which are, in addition to what we talked to last week, doctrinal discernment and perseverance. So doctrinal discernment and Perseverance. This is what we really kind of see captured here in First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, when I say the word doctrine, not, I, I know not in this church, but, you know, there are new people we don't know. For many people in, a, in America today, in what I would call the uh, corporate Christianity mindset where you build a model of church to fill the seats so that you can become the it church, so that you can swing with a big bat, and, and you develop the show to promote that church. And I just want you to understand something here. The, the, the duty and goal of the church is to not promote herself. The, the duty and goal of the church is to promote Christ I'll never forget, and it was a striking thing, Randy and I had went to a church back in Oklahoma uh, a couple times, probably just more because we were just curious. It was a big church. I forget how many thousands they ran on that Sunday. Uh, It was built right along the interstate and uh, big, big, big old building. And uh, we went to try to find a parking spot, but they had all of that part of the off-ramp and then the streets around it cordoned off. Signs up on how to... Get, I don't even remember. Oh, it was called Journey Church and how to get to the church, but you couldn't really get to it, so you had to go park in these far-off parking lots. And they had rented golf carts with the train. Like, they had golf cart with a bunch of little... And, you know, you hauled in. And then we got on the party bus. So... Ours was a renter, a rented party bus, because they had so many people coming in there, they had to rent a party bus, and so I was ride, we were riding in this party bus, which was a, what do they call the passenger vans with the slide door. It looks like a short bus kind of thing, and, and so inside was all of the, you could tell it was a party bus, because it had <laughs> all this party print all over the ceiling and stuff, and so we rode in there, and, and they'd pull up and dump people out, and no Bibles, no Bibles. Out of all those people, I didn't, I don't, I personally don't remember seeing one Bible. Now there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people going in there. Go in there, and uh, it's kind of when you go into the sanctuary there. I, I would call it more like the the, the showroom, um, theater style seating. The big stage, everything's focused towards the stage, and it's dark. Everything's painted black. Uh, they had, the sound booth was as wide as this building, <laughs> and, and it was kind of cool. I remember it being cool in there, and it was foggy, very foggy. They had a fog machine going, and they had these lights going all over. And one of my kids said, I've never been to a concert before, you know. And, uh, of course, but then they had the pew chairs, and, and we sat where we could, I don't ever remember even being spoken to. Yeah, so they, they never said hello, welcome. You had to pass through the ginormous land of donuts though to get there. <laughs> I do remember that big huge donut bar of all the donuts you could imagine. But they had on all the shirts. The the shirt was what was so we saw it when we came in too and it said, My church is kind of a big deal big letters. So they got up there on the stage and they did the announcements and of course they had their band and and all the lights and the zzzz, you know and and uh they st- they got up there at some point and they were they just they had a box of these shirts my church is kind of a big deal. And they said who wants a shirt and they're like yay and they started throwing out these shirts you know like at a I guess a concert or something. And um but the shirt was very offensive. My church is kind of a big deal. No. No, Jesus is kind of a big deal. That church no longer exists. Uh, it, it, it went out and, and just like all of those things, they were very weak on doctrine as evidenced by the things they promoted. You see, what, what you put forth first when you go to talk about God What you present with is what you value. It's what you treasure. It's what you really are after. They want the show. They wanted the zing, the popularity. And they said so. They were all about promoting their church. Now, we have a sign up. It says Northridge Fellowship. It identifies us as being here. And underneath it says it's not about religion, it's about a relationship, and we mean that. But we promote Christ. So we have chairs, and they're comfy enough for you to sit here. And we have a stage, of course. I guess it's a stage. I prefer to it to think of a place where it all points towards the preaching of the Word. Okay? The pulpit. And of course, these... This is what we would refer to as the altar. And so this is really a tool that we use to try to draw near to God as we come together and celebrate as the church. I'll make a confession to you as I, as I get into this. I'm going to just say this. so Because like I said, I've told you all everything else. I stop now. Uh, for so long, in my early Christian, when I was getting into ministry, I was all about the new stuff. Promoting the new stuff. The new music. And, and all of those things. And thank God that He brought me back to centrality of the promotion and what I should pursue is simply knowing Him more. So i I've, I've I'm grateful. For how God has has brought me full circle, and I'm grateful for how God has has allowed us as a as a as one of many church families to be about Jesus. It's amazing to me when we I talk I can talk about JT. He's not here, but you know. Uh, so what's the kid? 32, 30 something, thirty two years old I think. Um, so we get this young man and and. He, crazy talent you guys have no idea how gifted that guy is on instruments he can play everything and he he makes his own little his own little uh cds and he takes our worship songs that he plays here but then he goes back there on his computer and he gets on the drums i'll hear him in here sometimes it's of course it's electronics all i hear is you know but he'll he'll record a track and then he'll carry it back there and put it in his computer, and then he'll come in here on the bass, and he'll do some stuff. And then he'll go to the keyboard, and he'll do some stuff, and he'll put it all back there on his computer, and then he'll start mixing it up, and then it sounds like something you'd hear on the radio. And uh, one day I said, JT, why don't, you, why don't you figure out a way to play that, you know, on the, up for service? Because he, and he looked at me, and he said, because, Mickey, it isn't about this if 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 you have to have these sounds to worship christ as as the fellowship of the of the church together then then i failed as a worship minister because my 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 job is to bring people to christ not to a sound he's young and i'm grateful that he's here i'm grateful for that so he has a doctrine of worship that most of us don't understand. Do you know, for example, do you, do you want to know what the very first definition or what the very first requirement for true worship is? Do you know what's required to worship God? Attitude. Not music. Did you know that in the Old Testament, music was hardly ever mentioned? But we've made it all about music. Now, I don't want to go that way, but I want to say this, is that attitude, you have to have an attitude to worship God. So what does your doctrine of worship look like? Okay, that's going to dictate and determine where you might choose to attend a church. Because if you're all into the ethereal, well, you're going to go to where the ethereal is. The question is, is that biblical? How far are you willing to go? Well... What's your doctrine on the supremacy of Scripture? If, if you don't really have one, then you might go anywhere that tells good stories. What's your, what's your doctrine over who the person of Christ is? If he's just your buddy to help you along in life, then you probably will be fine going to many, many churches that don't major on who Christ is. But if you have a biblical doctrine doctrine over all of these things that I've just mentioned, you understand suddenly it begins to narrow in where you can go. Because God is dictating the terms on what is correct. We have to be careful to not allow the world to do that. Mm -hmm. Scripture has to do that. Scripture does. You say, why are you talking about this? Because doctrinal discernment, if you're growing in Christ, you're born again and while there are different representations of how you can, you know, like for example, obviously Weston doesn't sound like JT, okay? <laughs> Weston has his, his sound and JT has his sound, but notice that the, the, the simplicity of it is still towards Christ, right? So you, there are varying differences in how you might display this, but it's still going to be the simplicity of a sound doctrine of Christ, And what does the Bible say? So you should be able to discern that if you're growing in the Lord. If you're in Christ, you've been born again, you should be able to discern that. And then, secondly, you're going to persevere in it. Now, you may start off somewhere that's not good, but you're going to end up going towards the good because that's Christ in you. So the importance of doctrine, this is adapted from the Moody Handbook of Theology, uh, sound doctrine is important because our faith is based on a specific message. Think about that. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, but developed. I mean, I can't go into all... I mean, do you understand how large that statement is right there? I can't even begin to touch all of it in a matter of a second here. But sound doctrine is important because, of our, because our faith is based on a specific message. Sound doctrine is important because the gospel is a sacred trust... And we dare not tamper with God's communication to the world. Our duty is to deliver the message, not to change it. Okay? So, again, the scope is always going to be narrow to what God says, not what we would like for it to say. Sound doctrine is important because what we believe affects what we do. Observation. Just saying. You know, I I mean, you have to understand, uh, I think of some of you in your careers, you you talk a lot about what you're around, so Renny's always talking about bones and stuff, and I don't know what she's saying. And then she'll say, oh, my feelings of something or another of my C-spine is hurting, and I'm thinking, you're back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know what you're saying to me right now, (laughs) okay? And then, you know, uh, I've always talked about Travis, and he talks about fats and vitamins and, and, you know, just get on that one and he'll all the stuff. And of course his industry and I, you know, Chris can talk about insurance and, and, and litigation and insurance and, oh man, well, that's a deep one. And education, you educators right now are really frustrated. I mean, you are super frustrated because you've seen how things have changed and, you know, there seems to be no guiding principles. I've seen in churches, and I can't put this together in my head. Our church teaches the Bible, and you'll meet people that go there, and, and without looking in and, and taking your big fat mac, micro, micro, uh, magnifying glass and looking at them, you just they're just they're so permissive with what they allow in their life that is ungodly. So the question is? If it's such a Christ-centered preaching church, then how come a lot of the people you meet from there are not Christ-centered? How come it seems as though they have no doctrinal compass? How come it seems as though it's, it's just about them? See what I mean? So sound doctrine is important because what we believe affects what we do. Behavior is an extension of theology. And there is a direct correlation between what we think and how we act. For example, and I don't want to start anything, but, you know, when you got into the, oh, man, what was that? Oh, they had the, they called it the new math where two plus two is five some way. What? Oh, common core, yes. Well, if you say common core to seasoned teachers, they just might burn a hole through you with their eyeballs, you know. <laughs> and, and because in their mind, they're thinking, well, there's a dil- direct correlation between what we think and how we act. Does it have to be for? Yes. Does it have to do? Does it? Ha- but I feel this way. And they're thinking, you don't understand it's one, two, three, four, not, and, you know, and so, I'm just saying, so that's in education, but what about when it comes to the things of God? Behavior is an extension of theology. Literally, I was thinking as I pray, I pray in the shower a lot, and that's a good place to do it, and Guaranteed to be left alone in there. So, uh, but I was thinking, the white nations, Western Europe, America, Canada, they've once bastions of deep theological reformation and doctrinal standards are given over now to things that they shouldn't even be meeting about. And and look at the behavior in these nations. Look at the behavior in these countries. Here's one. This is actually true in Germany. Of course, you know, Germany allows euthanasia, okay? Which is a whole statement itself, right? So behavior, you know, uh, behavior is an extension of theology. Well, now... In Germany, unless you're vaccinated, you can't be euthanized. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm. Ju- but you go back. This is Germany. Martin Luther came. The Reformation happened there. I mean, so many. And now they're. That's the way they think? Okay, we'll get into it here. Uh, So, this is a big deal. Sound doctrine is important because we must ascertain truth in a world of falsehood, which we're surrounded by. Sound doctrine is important because the end of sound doctrine is life. Have you ever noticed that? Okay, life. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's what Paul told Timothy. Timothy. When you do what Jesus says, you'll live. Sound doctrine is important because it encourages believers. A love of God's word brings a great peace. And those who proclaim peace, who proclaim salvation, are truly beautiful, says in Isaiah. So, on one hand, the world says they're after peace, right? But on the other hand, unless you do it their way, they're going to just kill you. I mean, chase you down and... There's no, in all that we have today, there's no talk of God. There's not even a sense of heritage in any kind of process that his, is historically valid. I mean, when you start hearing things about Thanksgiving that's intrinsic to Christianity and that it is intrinsically racist, you have to think about what's gone away that allows that to come in. And it's an absence of sound. Biblical doctrine. It, it does matter. Here's some verses. First Timothy 4, 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, Paul writes to Timothy, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So, hey, if you're a preacher, if you want to be a good minister, instruct them in Jesus. Nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you carefully followed. So even he thought it was important to follow sound doctrine, right? Titus 1, nine, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may, this is the qualification for an elder, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So if you have someone who desires the office of an elder, you better make sure that they know what the Bible says, yeah. okay? Romans 16.17, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to The doctrine which you learn and avoid them. So if you don't know sound doctrine, you're going to cause divisions and offenses. It always happens. Hey, it always it it even happens in churches that any other time would be sound, but they allow other things to come in to become the main thing, and they veer off the preeminence of Christ and the centrality of the word. And second John. Verses 9 and 11, through 11. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And someone would say, well, what's the doctrine of Christ? You don't have time today. Okay, but it's all there. God, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, has both the Father and the Son, as we're about to read. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And I would just say when you have the Jehovah's false witnesses on your porch or you have the, the Mormons show up to talk unless you are skilled in the scripture and God has burdened you to share with them don't do what the Bible says Now, if you're skilled in the Scripture and you know the Word and you literally are burdened for them to share truth with them and you know you can, then okay. But if not, don't just come down and say, oh, really? And placate them and send them on their way because now you've joined in. Sound doctrine matters. So first, test all things, all things with the doctrine of Christ. Let's read in verse uh, uh, 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this is John's admonition. This is what he's writing to tell them. And he says, test the spirits. Now, when's the last time you tested the spirits? And you say, well, what does he mean, testing the spirits? And then he refers to false prophets that have gone out into the world. So it is true. There are many false prophets. We've covered that before. I mean, there's a whole litany of them, right? But but they have something that accompanies them that you need to test. And it's the spirit that's in them. Well, now what are we talking? The funny thing is, in the Greek here, in the explanation, in the syntax of the verse, it's, it's the supernatural, it's of the supernatural world. To be a false prophet is to be led by unholy spirits. To be led by demonic spirits. Okay. So shamans and, and 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 all the monks and priests of these different religions and and all of those things, you have to understand that to be able to get to that level <laughs> in those organizations, you have to be led by Satan himself. Yes. You do. One of the weirdest things, and I'll talk about it till the day I die, and and for those of you who've dealt a lot with Mormon folk, you'll know what I'm saying here. But in Utah County, down where we were, when we could talk Chevy and Ford all day long, okay, and the weather and politics are very conservative. But when I started talking about the Jesus of the Bible, and I would say Jesus of the Bible, Instantly, you could watch their eyes just clear out. It was as if they left and this darkness came in. Now, their eyes didn't turn black, but, but I, you have to understand when you're talking with them, they literally shut down and they were vacant. There was an immediate tension. It was a, a palpable evil. And they were gone. Because to, to believe and live in that system is to believe doctrines of demons. Do you understand that? So, so then uh, John is writing to, this, to these Christians in conflict and he's saying, test them. And really what you got to do is, he says, whether they are of God, Just start talking about the Jesus of the Bible and watch. They'll they'll declare themselves. They'll let themselves out of the bag. To test the spirits is referring to the cautious, cautious examination of all that is said in light of what the scriptures reveal about Jesus Christ. Be prepared for that. And in our day, hey, notice this. As evil grows more pronounced, there will, be a less, there will be less of a hiding of these demonic spirits. Used to, let's just go back 70 years or something. They were not only in the shadows, they were behind the tree in the shadow, peeking out. Now they're just right out in the yard with everybody else. They don't need to hide. I mean it's celebrated it's creepy test them to see what they are 1st Timothy 4 verses 1 through 3 now the spirit expressly says that in latter times Rich I think where'd Rich go he's not in his spot there he is okay (laughs) you guys gotta stop moving around like that uh Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Do you mean that's actually a thing? That's not just preacher talk, Brian. There are actually deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And because... Some who are in the church today will depart later because they're giving heed to it. What does giving heed mean? They're going to take it in. You know why? Because they were never part of us. They, they went along to go along. There's only one surefire remedy and antidote and protection from doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. He will guide you into all truth. He will let you know what truth from error. He will comfort you. He will, he will let you know, now's a good time to run, okay? Now's a good time not listen to that. Now's a good time to turn that off. Now's a good time not to read that. Now's a good time for them to just hang up, <laughs> okay? And he will let you know that. That's why it's so important that you stay in your Bibles and stay in prayer so you can stay sensitive to the things of God. I had a friend that played guitar in Oklahoma and he played it so much, you know, when you play, you get calluses on the end of your fingers. He says, it's pretty cool because now I can take and When I'm grilling, of course, he was using briquettes. He said, I can actually get down and I can actually pick them with my finger and move them around. And I thought... What happens when it burns through all that skin? (laughs) Because it is. Just because you ain't feeling it doesn't mean it's not happening. So stay sensitive to the things of the Spirit. But it says that they will, the, the Spirit expressly says that. And these doctrines of demons, they speak lies in hypocrisy. I don't know of something that's more hypocritical than saying, hey, we care so much about you, we want you to be vaccinated, so before you kill yourself, at least you're safe. (laughs) I mean, after all, I mean, we we care that you live and no one dies except for the ones we don't care about. These are all hypocritical things, having their own conscience seared. Now, notice the, the reaction of these, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And these people, they forbid to marry, they command, commanding to abstain from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This isn't a, 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 a completely exhaustive list of all the things that people that live in hypocrisy and give heed to doctrines of demons do. They do all kinds of stuff. But it's all on the external So, who is Jesus? Verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. By this. Okay, here it comes. By this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Okay. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Okay. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, I would like to remind you that the word confess is homo legeo in the Greek. Homo meaning same. Legeo comes from the word where we get logos from, which means word. So you could think same word or to say the same thing, to agree. And you think, well, if you just take that at the first glance, you think, well... There are lots of cults that teach that Jesus Christ came and we know they're in error. Yeah, but you haven't asked them what they believe about Jesus just yet. Because that's where it really comes down to. Is he literally God incarnate? Or was he just God part-time? Was he really all man? Or just man some and then God some and then went back and forth? Was he truly sufficient in his saving acts of grace and redemption or was he partially and we have to help him out? Can you really agree? So what John is saying applies to us today. If if you go to someone and, and, and I'll use, uh, so I'll just use Brian. I know he won't get mad. And um, And I say, Brian, do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh? And he's, you'd say, yes, sir. And I'd say, well, what do you mean by that? And he's gonna tell me everything the Bible says about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Okay, and I'm gonna be like, homo legal. We agree, the same, same word. But if I were to ask someone from a cult and I would say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is in the flesh? Oh, yes, I do. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, Jesus, uh, you know, he was the offspring of God and his spirit wife and, and then he came, to, he was on this earth and he had to progress on to God. Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. You've just left the Bible. No homo legale. None. Every single false religion has redefined the person and nature of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Every single one. So the great question is, who is Jesus? Well, one other thing that this verse brings out is that, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, so where does this kind of thinking come from? All that I've talked about even so far, all that John is bringing out in the text, with what we're seeing in the headlines today, with what we see in our culture today, with what we see on bumper stickers today, okay, where does this come from? What lunacy is this? And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Think of it as the spirit of the age. And if you remember, I preached on this not too long back. The spirit of the age where two plus two can be five if you feel like it, where no one wins and no one loses, where truth is what you feel that it is, where absolute statements are made absolutely still thinking they can be relative, where you can decide your own sex or maybe just not be one at all. Like an air fern. I don't know. No, even they know what they are. But you, you, there's no fixed standard. And yet, and yet, any rule of law from any country or any group that says these are our rules, they're making a claim on a standard of truth that is somewhere outside of them and higher than them. Because how can you have law if you have no ultimate standard of truth? So in that, they completely contradict themselves. Thus, you have the hypocrisy. And you say, where does that come from? And John says, it comes from the spirit of the Antichrist. I like what Rich said when he was getting up to pray because it is true that now there is a great division happening between God's people and the world. Thank God, finally, it's happening. Okay, it got too cozy there for a little while. Where they hate us simply because, and for no other reason, we have a a resolve to a fixed standard of ultimate truth that is all held in this book. And they they hate us for it. We can read through their hypocrisy with it. We can show their, their, them their lies with it. We, we, we are encouraged enough by it that we won't back up from it. We cannot be bought or controlled because the power of this book, Satan knows, is real. You've got to get rid of that book. You've got to get rid of those people. It's been the same since day one. That's what John's writing, what he's writing. Any attitude that makes Jesus less than God or more than a perfect man is sourced by the spirit of the Antichrist. Jesus is... The perfect God-man. We call it the hypostatic union. Okay. There were in John's day two schools of thought as to why he's writing specifically as he is. One is called Cerinthianism. Notice they're always an ism. It's a heresy taught by Serentius. Died approximately A.D. 100 that deals with the person of Jesus. Now imagine that. It stated that Christ, the Christ, came upon Jesus at his baptism and left him just prior to his crucifixion. Okay? Essentially, Sorenthus taught that the Christ and Jesus are separate beings. He taught that Jesus was born naturally without the virgin birth, Sorenthus was educated in the wisdom of Egyptian issues with, from Ephesus and so he would have had a mixture of Christian theology and paganism. And we see that happening in other countries many times where you have a mixture of Christianity and, and even, believe it or not, voodoo is one of those things. Syncretism many times. Okay? So Sorenthus. The other one is docetism, okay? Docetism was a teacher, but there was an error with several variations concerning the nature of Christ. So they had a problem with the nature of Christ. Generally, it taught that Jesus only appeared to have a body. He only appeared to have a body. That he was not really incarnate. So the word doceo means to seem. (laughs) So I, I don't know if they thought Jesus was a hologram or what, you know, this error developed out of the dualistic philosophy which viewed matter, so physical things matter, as inherently evil, that God could not be associated with matter, and that God, being perfect and infinite, could not suffer. Therefore, God, as the Word, could not have become flesh, per, John, per the verses in John one one and 1.14, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This denial of a true incarnation meant that Jesus did not truly suffer on the cross and that He did not rise from the dead. It was all just, it just seemed like He did. They still struggle with those same verses today. And they're not called Corinthianism anymore. They're not called Docetism anymore. But the same lie is still there. It's just repackaged. I like what the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith says. The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance, and equal with Him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things He has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, Take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it. We've talked about that in the Dane Ortland class, right? Yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowing her and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah of the seed of Abraham and David according to the Scriptures. Very precise, so that two whole perfect and distinct natures, man and God, okay, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ... The only mediator between God and man. You ask a Puritan to give you a definition, you're going to get a good definition. And that's where the period actually came, was right there. That was all one sentence. Okay? So, that's sound doctrine. It's backed by Scripture, which is the authority for all of sound doctrine. We must refer back to it all the time. If you're in Christ and you're born again, you will have doctrinal discernment. And as you grow, it will become sharper, sharper, and sharper. Verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, what? These spirits, these, these false prophets. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Did you see that? That's your guarantee of your encouragement. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I can't tell you how many times I prayed that prayer. And used that verse. 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know, Paul writes, whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep What I have committed to him until that day. Why? Because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Paul knew that. I know that. That's the declaration of the Spirit of God to us. The Antichrist can't touch that. He can't get next to it. He's on borrowed time. But for us who know Christ... You have all hope. Amen. All hope. Philippians 2:13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God does it. God does it. He keeps you. He saved you, he keeps you. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world lastly. Who we listen to is who we serve. Remember that? Who we listen to is whom we serve. In verse 5 and 6, they are of the world. Who's they? The spirit of the Antichrist, the false prophets. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Makes sense, doesn't it? I think, Rich, you said something of the fact that they don't understand what we're saying and we don't understand what they're saying. Because there is a great difference between the two. Everything they say is sourced from the world to which we hear and we go, untruth? No. That is not at all what's behind that. That's not what you guys are after anyway. Here's the bigger story. they are like, who told you that? Well, God did. I mean, it's right here. You won't read it. We only need to get rid of that book. But therefore we speak, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. So there's Jesus. And there's a mob gathered. And the Pharisees say, give us Barabbas. And all the mob says, yeah, well, what should, what should I do with this Jesus? And the Pharisee says, crucify him. Yeah, crucify him. Yeah. See what happens when the mob votes, okay? Because they were talking to their own. They were there to mock. And they were there to cast judgment in unbelief. So no, the world always sings in unison to its own song. Always. We are of God. So John says, we are of God. And he who knows God hears us. Whether you're in another country or in America, wherever you are, if you run into another Christian that loves the word of God, that has been truly born again, and you guys begin to talk, you're going to know that you guys our family. Amen. You're related. Now you may, you may have a difference in the way you play your worship songs on the guitar, okay? Uh, and, and, and your pulpit may look square or something. You may not even have one. But if this is central to who you are, you have something in common. You see? And, and, and so John just makes this truth by this, <laughs> we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By by this, we do. We know this. Look, I want to tell you something. God will never change his mind on truths that he has declared. He will not change his mind. And if you get to the point where you think you can say God has changed his mind on this concerning this particular circumstance, you've just left Bible doctrine behind. You are now filling in, coloring your own lines. You're painting no more by numbers. You're painting by your feelings. And you're serving the God of your imagination. It's a dangerous thing. God will never change his mind on what he said we should do or how we should live it's a fact that's why they don't like us remember wolverton zuck that's a commentary you got to cite that stuff mr zuck I don't summarizes this nicely by saying it is always true that satanically inspired thought has a special appeal to worldly minds. Isn't that very sobering? It is always true that satanically inspired thought has a special appeal to worldly minds. That's why, again, with all the things we see happening, and you talk to people who profess to be Christians, yet they seem to only be drawn to that that is not right. You're 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 trying to figure out which wires broke, right? Because it doesn't go together. I, I've seen some of you on occasion with a few little puzzles, and you get down the small pieces, and it looks like it could fit, and it should, and you put it there, and you go, you try to. You mash on it and it's unforgiving, it won't go. It may be close. But as Nathan Harden says, close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and slow dancing. Okay. <laughs> close close is not a fit. Right. When you look at our world today, if you'll stay in your Bible, Stay on your knees. You're gonna know. Now you're not gonna know all the details and all that stuff, but you're gonna know if something's right or wrong. You're gonna know it. And then here's the thing when you when you do, when you know, when you know, trust Jesus for the outcome. And if you're called to stand on principle of truth, then stand there. Don't capitulate. You only get one shot. There's only a few times in life when you're going to be given an opportunity to make a statement for truth. If you think about it, stand strong. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Wes if you'd come up play, Brother Weston. <laughs> Harry Manface, come up. But as as we go through this, I just wonder as Wes begins to sing. Have you, allowed, have you allowed the pressure of the world to determine truth to you? Have you gotten away from your Bible because you're so frustrated? You say, I don't really know what's truth about it. Have you sought God about it? If you don't know Christ today, I, I want to remind you, there is nothing to prevent you from believing all those lies. You need to be saved. Saved from the penalty of your sin and saved from the complete deception that's coming upon the world and is already in play. You you can't hold yourself out of that. Whatever God may be calling you today to do, be faithful before you leave to do business with God.